When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Golic and Smetty here. Stop it, Jess. Just stop it. Welcome to another edition of Golic and Smetty. I am Mike Golic Sr. She is Jess Matana, and she will be my roommate uh, coming up this weekend. Looking forward to that. <laughs> Looking forward to hosting you and your boyfriend. That will be nice here in Notre Dame before we get to Notre Dame and Clemson. I already know. I don't even have to ask. I already know that you're going to bring some goodies for me. Oh, my gosh. I actually wasn't planning on it. Oh, Jess, come on. Well, I'm not gonna be. I'm not gonna be like staying at my parents' house or anything the night before. But now that you mention it, I'm I'm gonna have to whip something up, aren't I? E- either that, Jess, or you could pull it off, buy something at the store, take off the, you know, put it in a baggie, and yeah. say you made it. You could do that. I'll get something from Martin's, and there, and there you go. You won't know the difference. I will not know the difference. Now, all I know is I'll be getting a treat, and that's all that that's all that matters to me. So we're gonna. Uh, we definitely are going to jump into college uh, right now. We're going to talk to uh, Jared Carabas uh, from DraftKings. He has a, uh, a couple of pods out. Baseball is dead in the Jared Carabas uh, podcast. So with, with two, as of the taping of this, there's two games down in the World Series. It's one each uh, in that one. Game three was postponed. So we'll talk to Jared in a little bit about that and some other things going on in baseball. But uh, any series that, that we talk about, Yes, outside football is only one game, but I always want to see seven games. So no matter what, I'm hoping for a seventh game uh, in this series, which which I think, unfortunately, for baseball is going to be on Sunday night now with the postponement until they'll go up against Sunday night football. Yeah, you know, it's unfortunate it's going up against Sunday night football, but I do think Sunday is a great sports-watching day. So I still think a lot of people will tune in if it does go to that. And, and like you said, Mike, I mean, game sevens yeah. in any playoff series, people are going to automatically watch, even if you don't really have any skin in it. But can you imagine if we did a seven-game uh, Super Bowl playoff series? Like, if, if we played seven Super Bowls, that would be awesome. Why don't we do that? It'd be a lot of pain for the players, I'll tell you that much. I couldn't imagine playing a whole season <laughs> and then a seven-game, potential seven more well, games. okay, let's shorten the season ah. and make, the, you know, we'll go back to 12 games in the season and then every playoff series, three games, and then the Super Bowl, seven-game series. It might wow. not make it to seven games, Mike, but right. no, how fun true. would it be to have the two best teams? Like, do you think the Rams and the Bengals – finish the way they did last season if they're playing seven games I feel like the Bengals uh, get a couple sneak a couple wins in there I gotta believe too if you did that there'd probably be a couple of blowouts too where you know when you're playing seven games something's gonna go wrong in some of these games so you might get a couple of duds but that would be wild if you could guarantee the owners would not lose any money they'd be open to anything you know, when you say cut the cut the season they all shorter, football, it's yeah. it's always when they're in the owner meetings and somebody is talking about something along these lines. All they hear is want, want, want until how much money am I making? Then their ears perk up. So, uh, yeah, as no, long- I, I agree with you. It's a terrible idea, but you oh, know, it's fun to think about though. Except if, if I except if I was still playing, uh, how much it would hurt? It's like Stu Gotts <laughs> talking about changing baseball rules and such, and and how uh, how ridiculous he sounds doing that at times. But that's just another day for Stu, really. Uh, so before we get to baseball, we'll talk a little NFL, little little racing as well. College football, Jess. Listen, uh, all of you Notre Dame haters out there, uh, you know <laughs> I, I know you tune into this because a lot of times you tune in if you love something or hate something. 
Notre Dame gets a big win on the road at Syracuse, which was a worrisome-looking game. Syracuse had been undefeated going into last week's game at Clemson, and they played Clemson very well in that game. I think lost by, what, six points or a touchdown. It was a good game, and it was in Clemson. So there was a, there was a bit of worry, I'm sure, from Notre Dame fans because you don't know which Notre Dame team you're getting. If they're playing at their best, they can compete. If they're not, we have seen that they lose to teams they should not be losing to. But, but right from play one, a pick six right out the gate, Jess, uh, while there was a little bit of time in that second half where Syracuse started closing the gap and we were doing that uh-oh thing again, uh, Notre Dame you know, pulled, pulled that one out and won pretty, pretty much going away. Mike, there was also another punt block. Notre Dame, I yes. think, has five punt blocks now on the season, which is awesome because now even if the punter on the other team isn't getting blocked, they're scared to punt. So it impacts every single punt play, which is, I think, really cool. And, and special teams, like, that hasn't been a big Notre Dame strong point, I think, over the last few years. So it's cool that that's now – something that fans can look forward to. But it was such a fun game to watch. Like you said, it got close. It was 24-17 to 17 in the third quarter. Syracuse's quarterback got hurt in the second quarter. Um, and then their backup came in. And their backup, I mean, he, he threw some pretty dangerous balls. One he of them did. ended up getting picked off. But he also had, like, a, a level of kind of explosiveness that I think scared fans a little bit. Like, he was able to move the chains on his feet. And so it was It was not a completely stress-free game like, you know, the BYU and the North Carolina games were for most of the second half. But it was still, I think, impressive Notre Dame was able to finish it out. They ended up winning by, you know, 17 points, I think. So it was it was fun to watch. And, and a ranked win is a ranked win. I don't think it matters how Syracuse finishes the season. Right. Notre Dame needed that. They've won yep. five of the last six games. If it weren't for the Stanford game, that really is inexplicable. Oh. I mean, we're, we're talking about a completely different set of circumstances here heading into November. So I thought it was really fun. Yeah, that what you're right about Stanford. That was inexplicable. I mean, that that's a tape you just burn and, and, and throw away and say, how in the hell did that happen? But now there's Clemson coming to town. We'll see again. So we're, we're, we're taping this before the committee meets for the first time. So by the time everybody is listening to this, the first committee rankings will be out. Clemson will probably be five, six at the lowest. I would imagine they'll be outside of the top four, but they'll be right there. And we'll get into that because obviously right out of the gate, one and two, unless Ohio state's one, I think Tennessee might be one and Georgia might be two or vice versa. They're playing this week. So, I mean, it's all going to yeah. change uh, immediately. So, the thing about Notre Dame, though, though, Jess, is is they're going to have to be able to run the ball. They ran the ball 56 times for 248 yards against Syracuse. They're not a team really built to come back from being down a couple of sto- uh, scores. The passing game just isn't that good. So, that's going to be the key to go against Clemson is – don't be falling, you know, behind by a couple of scores and have to throw your way back in. I think Notre Dame would still struggle a bit there. The defense has been playing better, and the run game has been incredible. They held the ball for almost 15 minutes more than Syracuse. It's a great recipe, and it's not. It doesn't take rocket science to say this is what you need to do, uh, but you have to go out and do it. So that that's the fingers crossed, you know, kind of watching is that running game works and the defense plays the way they've been playing. Yeah, and I don't know if that recipe will work against Clemson's defense. I think it's going to be a really difficult matchup. And like you said, I mean, do you know what Drew Pine's final stat line was? For it wasn't this game? good. It still wasn't. He's still throwing in under fifty percent, is he not? It was nine for nineteen, one hundred and sixteen yards, one touchdown, and one interception. Um, Notre Dame's third string quarterback came in for a couple series at the end, but didn't throw the ball. So I think, yeah, Drew, Drew Pine has struggled at times. There have also been stretches where he's played really well. And I think like him getting more confidence in the pass game, maybe that'll happen more progressively throughout the season, or maybe this is just what it is. And there isn't like, it's, We've gone past the point where there's going to be like some a breakout star in the wide receiver room, uh, and yeah. there's really just Michael Mayer and a few guys that are going to contribute, and and that's that's okay if you're a seven or eight win team. If you want to beat Clemson and USC and finish November four and zero, though, you're going to have to be perfect everywhere else. So I think the Clemson matchup is going to be really uh, telling of of 
where things go from here for the rest of the season. Notre Dame still should finish with seven wins and a bowl game. Yeah. Um, but if you're a Notre Dame fan, you really want them to knock off at least one of these teams, these ranked teams in the last month of play. So I guess we'll see what happens this weekend, Mike. You and I will both be at the game. Yep. We will also be roommates, like you mentioned. Yes, we will. Um, the forecast looks very nice. I'm, I'm sure there will be a million Clemson fans there. So... It's yeah, they'll travel. A, yeah, they'll, they'll yeah. travel well. I, I agree I with that. I think it's going to be a, a fun one. And, and I think you're 1,000% correct in the fact that this is where Notre Dame is right now. You know, unless you get that exception to the rule and Drew Pine and the receivers have an unbelievable game, you know, that, that as I said, that would be more the exception than the rule. You have to – Notre Dame is more that running and defensive team – so we'll, we'll see. We'll see what the recipe is for next year. Too many games to go this year just to, to, to worry about that now. But you kind of know what your identity is, and you said what it is, and, and you're right. This is, this is who they are, and this is how they have to win. But uh, it'll be electric here. And, and I like what, what Marcus Freeman said. He said, listen, this isn't David versus Goliath. We're two blue blood teams, Clemson and Notre Dame. He said the thing about us is if we play like we're capable of playing and played at times this year, we could win this game. If we play like we've played a couple times this year, we could lose this game. You know, so that's where Notre Dame is right now is which version are you going to get? So and and, and I think he's absolutely right, which now leads into, as I mentioned, I think I think Clemson will be five. I think it'll be some variety of Georgia, Tennessee, Ohio State, and Michigan in the top four as far as this is the first committee. And I'll say it again. When I'm out of the media business, I want to be on this 13-person committee. I would love that because you get you just watch a ton of tape, or at least I hope they're doing that. I hope you know? so. <laughs> and I love doing that. I need to sit around, watch tape, and eat catered food. I mean, that would be just awesome. Uh, I so agree. I, yeah, I am hoping someday to be on that. But So I think that'll be the, the, basically anywhere in the top four. And what I'll say right out of the gate, just for the f- top four, it doesn't matter. Because you know Ohio State and Michigan are playing at the end of the year. And Tennessee and Georgia are playing this weekend. So Mm -hmm. it's already going to change. To me, the biggest thing about the first rankings coming out is not the four. It's five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, depending on the records. So it's going to let you know what the committee thinks of some of these teams right now. Like Alabama has a loss. Rarely do they have a loss when you get to the first rankings. Where do they put them? Are they five? Are they ahead of Clemson who's undefeated, which would let Clemson know what the committee thinks of them? You know, where does TCU go sitting at 8-0 eight, uh, eight right now? So to me, that second tier is one of the most important things tonight because it kind of lets you know what, forgetting what we think or the AP thinks and all that doesn't matter. It's what these 13 people think about your team. I have a question for you, Mike, heading into this weekend. Like you said, Georgia and Tennessee will be playing each other um, the Notre Dame-Clemson game has definite playoff implications for Clemson. Notre Dame is obviously out of it and yes. has been out of it. Yep. Um, but there's another big game between ranked teams, and that is Alabama versus LSU. And that is a, 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 an SEC West division rivalry game at LSU. How much do you think Notre Dame fans are rooting for Alabama and against Brian Kelly in this game? I think a lot. I think there are going to be really – I think there's a lot of Notre Dame fans who have not been happy with Brian Kelly that are like, oh, man, he's having a decent year. It's a big win for them uh, last week. But, uh, listen, they got that uh, the Jaden Daniels kid from Arizona State who I wasn't sure about. And at times he's inconsistent, but when he's on, he's on. And he's pl- played well for them in their last game, and he's going to have to play really well in this game. And Alabama, we know, already has a loss. We know their defense can give up some points for sure. I still like Alabama in this game, but it's a big game. You know, uh, LSU has put themselves in a nice position. Uh, but, you know, you start looking at games now as opposed to then who gets into the SEC championship because you always know there's usually two teams that can get in uh, from the SEC. God forbid you say three teams possibly getting in from the SEC. It yeah, would be what three, if there's three? Yeah, three from the SEC and probably one from the Big Ten. You'd have all the three other Power Fives getting shut out would be unbelievable. We got a long way uh, before that happens, but... This Tennessee-Georgia game, man, Tennessee can put up a ton of points with Hendon Hooker, who I think is the leading contender for the Heisman right now. And while Georgia's defense isn't 
I don't think as good as it was last year when they had just stud after stud on that defense and a lot of them are playing in the NFL now. They're still, I think, second in in points allowed at just over 10. I think they're either leading or second in yards allowed. So, I mean, it is another stifling defense against an offense that is unbelievably potent. So this this is going to be a lot of, a lot of fun to watch. I'm trying to think out um, a scenario where we get four SEC teams in. So what if LSU? <laughs> what if LSU had not lost to Florida State in Week One, and their only loss is to Tennessee, and then they beat Alabama? Beat Alabama. But then Alabama has two, two losses. losses so they, yeah, yeah. But they're Alabama, so maybe yeah. they still, you know. But then LSU and Tennessee or Georgia play in the SEC. I'm, tr- I'm trying to think. Like yeah. I know there's a way, and when it's a 12-team playoff, there probably will oh. be multiple years where there's oh. three oh, or four yeah. SEC teams in. Um, but that is that is kind of the the fun part about November is that a lot of these really good teams will have to play each other, and then you know there's there's also some blowouts in the conference championship weekends, and yeah. and those and, aren't as fun. But and listen, there's there's blowouts in the semifinals. Everybody keeps you know bragging on Notre Dame because they've gotten blown right. out in the semifinals. Other teams have gotten blown out in the semifinals. And Oklahoma, I'll say and I'll say this again. Michigan State. The two years Notre Dame got blown out in the semifinals, one year it was Alabama, one year it was Clemson. Both those teams in the championship game beat their opponent to win the national title by more than they beat Notre Dame in the semi. Right. So all you Notre And Dame, Notre Dame covered so Yeah, yeah, it's know. exactly right. So all you Notre Dame haters can stick it as far as I'm concerned. That's just <laughs> that's, that's just me. Sorry about that. But you know, I'm I am looking forward to this weekend and, and, and again, you're right. When they go to twelve teams, you'll get three or four SEC teams for sure. You'll start to get two lost teams in there because we still have never had a two lost team uh, in the playoffs, and and I doubt we'll get, uh, that that's not going to happen this year. I don't think again. So again, first rankings as when you hear this, the first rankings will be out. Uh, the, the first four again, I don't think matter because they're playing one another. Uh, so that's going to change. So we'll see. And Jess and I get to hang out for the weekend. Uh, and watch Notre Dame hopefully beat Clemson. That will be. Uh, are there any requests for you or your boyfriend in when you come to the house? Hmm. You know, do you have like a writer list or anything like yes, that? Yes, I do. Blue M and M's in a bowl in my room, please. Um, you know, Mike. Honestly, we're we're pretty low maintenance people. We we enjoy good coffee, and that's really that's really all we need. When you say good coffee, I have a basically a Keurig, and I make. Is that not good, good coffee? Enough. It's good enough. It is good enough because when my kids are here, when my friggin' kids are here, Sydney, Jake, (laughs) and Mike, or individually, they go out every morning and buy coffee somewhere. My coffee maker is not good enough for them. I mean, that's you've spoiled them, Mike. This is your own fault. I don't know who raised these children. You did. Well, I'll blame that on my wife because she's not here. That works too. All right, so uh, the blue M and M's, and you'll you'll accept our coffee. We have a bunch. Of, I bunch accept of, your coffee. Okay, all right. I appreciate that. I'm lo- looking forward to it, and we're also looking forward to the rest of the World Series. Uh, and so we figured we, we had to talk some some baseball again. As the taping of this, the series is tied one one. So uh, right now we want to talk to DraftKings. Has a couple of pods. Baseball is dead, and Jared Carabas podcast. Jared Carabas is going to join us. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done. All right, Jared, so we're, we're two games into the World Series. As the taping of this is going on, they're going to play Game 3, but we had the postponement of Game 3 pretty close to the start of Game 3. What what was your thoughts about I think it was a little over an hour that they decided because of the weather forecast to postpone the game. What, what did you think of how close it was to the game? Yeah, I mean, I uh, I woke up in the morning and I tweeted, oh, we got baseball tonight. And uh, then I looked at the forecast and I was like, I don't know if we're going to have baseball tonight. It, it did not look very friendly. We, pretty much all day we kind of knew that there was no pocket to get the game in. So I don't know why they kind of 
uh, waited around to make the decision. I mean, ultimately they they made the decision to postpone the game. But um, yeah, at no point after waking up yesterday did I think that we were going to play baseball. It's a bummer too because the Monday night football game was so terrible that the head to head probably wouldn't have even mattered. And it would have lined up perfectly because the Eagles were playing Thursday night and and that was the one off day this week. So now, like, poor Philly fans have to make a decision. Do I watch the Eagles on Thursday night or do I watch the, the Phillies in the World Series? It's just terrible, terrible times. So what, what do you think, uh, you know, I know Rob Manfred w- was asked about this, so now there'll be a game on Thursday for when Thursday night football is going on. And if there's a game seven, it'll be Sunday night up against the NFL as well. Your thoughts on on that and that decision that was made. Yeah, I mean, I I think from – because I was in Philly for the NLCS. I'm not in Philly for the World Series, but I was following along for the tweets, and people were saying it was absolutely downpouring. So I think they're kind of just – they're stuck with what they had to work with. I I don't think that it's it's something that they could have played through because you're never going to win going up the NFL – um, you know, football is king. It is what it is. Like as, as a diehard baseball guy, it pains me to say, but you're never going to be able to compete with the NFL. I did see that the ratings were up from last year, um, and they're up from the year before that, which is surprising because you would think with all the cord cutting going on that ratings would be going down regardless of who the matchup was. Like that part of it wouldn't matter. Um, but the ratings are actually better this year than they were last year, and they were pretty good. I think they were better um, – I want to say the the World Series ratings were better than the NBA Finals ratings. So, you know, for a sport that's quote-unquote dying, uh, it – it's not great when you have to go up against the the NFL, but I also saw a lot of complaining about the quality of the games this past Sunday. So if you're gonna if you're a sports fan, uh, especially if you're a sports better, <clears throat> then I think a lot of people are like, yeah, I'm gonna tune into Game Seven of the World Series potentially over some some matchup on Sunday night that I don't even know who the Sunday night game would be, but I, I feel like Game Seven of the World Series grabs you even if you're not a diehard baseball fan. Yeah, the uh, I'm looking I'm, I'm looking real quick that the uh, uh, it's Tennessee at Kansas City, uh, so yeah, you know we'll, we'll we'll see, but it is it's always a, t- a tough matchup. But you're right, I, I was reading the same thing about Game One and the ratings. So so looking at the two games, you see Houston in the first game jump out to a five nothing lead. Phillies come back and win it in ten. They jump out to a five nothing lead in the in Game Two, and the Phillies can't come back in this one. So. Kind of your takeaway, I think most people felt Houston the better team going. Correct me if I'm wrong, of the playoff teams, the Phillies had the least amount of wins, I think, at 87, yet here they are in the World Series. But down 5 nothing in both games, is is that kind of a prelude to think of what may happen you know, in the, in the rest of these games, that Houston may just be too good and they jump out to these leads? Yeah, I mean, that's essentially uh what i expected uh going into this world series i i picked i picked the phillies in seven and that's really just a coin flip be only because i was in philly for these nlcs games and that ballpark is going to make a huge difference but i think the question is how big of a difference can it really make when the houston astros they get booed loudly everywhere that they go like i don't know like philly fans can really make it hard on opposing teams and players but if i think the one team that might be immune to that would be the houston astros because they're like this is this is like a regular tuesday for us like we we kind of we're used to this um but yeah i i think in terms of surprises i was more surprised um, you know, the whole like, Justin Verlander in the World Series thing. It makes no sense. Like, this guy yeah. <laughs> is a generational talent. We're talking about one of the greatest pitchers of all time. Yeah, and, like, when you when you think about, you know, Clayton Kershaw gets a lot of flack because um, he, he underperformed in the postseason. David Price was another guy that got, you know, a lot of media attention for not performing well in the playoffs. For Justin Verlander, it's – it's just the World Series. It's it's almost a flex to be like, yeah, I suck, but only in the World Series. Like, I have <laughs> enough of a sample size where I get to the World Series often enough. I've pitched in the World Series over three different decades, so people notice that, that I'm not good in the World Series. Kind of a good problem to have, but, um, yeah, I think, I think the big takeaway is um, I don't want to necessarily say that the Phillies are overmatched, but 
on paper the Astros are better, and I think in, in the series they've shown that they're better. And, you know, even that game one win for the Phillies, they had to grind it out. Like, they had to steal that game. Like, that was Houston's game to win. They should have won it. They didn't, you know, all credit to the Phillies to that for that. But, uh, you know, game two was, was all Houston, and that's I, – I don't know that that's – I'm just interested to see how that environment works out once they once they do start playing these games in Philly. So you mentioned that the Astros get booed everywhere. Philadelphia is obviously a very loud and proud fan base, as Mike can attest to. So where do you think neutral fans are falling with this matchup? Do you think like, because I mean, as a non-Philadelphia sports fan, I I can't think of another non-Philly fan who's not been like, you know, yelled at by a, a Phillies or Eagles fan before. So who where who are people rooting for? Is everyone just anti-Astros? I, I think I saw a graphic the other day. I don't know if it was like based like how they measure that thing, but it's it's like, you know, they they have like keywords that are anti-Houston and pro-Philly, and it's, I think it was like forty-six out of the fifty states were in favor of the Phillies winning the World Series, <laughs> um, which isn't uh, that's not a huge surprise. But the thing about Philly fans, <clears throat> they're almost like. Um, they're like a dog with a new toy, <laughs> and I even get afraid of being pro Philly because they're just like, "This is our toy. We don't want you to touch it. We don't want you to come near it." I went to, when I went to those Phillies games; they were like coming after me. I, I wasn't wearing Philly stuff. I wasn't wearing Astros stuff. I was just wearing like a sweatshirt with a jacket over it, and they were booing me walking into the stadium. And I was like, dude, I'm, I'm here for you. Like I'm here to like, you know, report back of how like awesome the, the atmosphere is here. And, uh, they weren't having it. I think it was mostly because Padres fans were, were too scared to show up. They didn't want the smoke. So they were like, that guy is not wearing Philly stuff. We hate this guy. So yeah, it's, I, I feel like Philly fans, I'm sure they're like, yeah, thank you for the support and everything, but we don't need it. We, we like, we're, they're 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 like Philadelphia is its own like country. They don't care about anything outside of it. So is it pos- possible to root for neither team? Like, can we can we tie this thing? Maybe Game Seven gets postponed indefinitely if it's a three three tie or something like that. I think for me, it's it's easier to root for individuals in this World Series. Like, I want Bryce Harper to get a ring. Um, I love Kyle uh, I, you know, Schwarber. I'm, I'm, I mean, he already has one, but like he, I'm a Cubs fan, so I root for his continued success too. I, I'm with you. Like maybe there's some other players that you are happy for, and and you don't go for either team logo. Yeah, like like I love Kyle Schwarber too as a Red Sox guy. I mean, he he was only in Boston for half a season, and he's already a legend there. Uh, but then the, you know, on the other side of things, Dusty Baker, Dusty Baker getting a ring. You know, I think he's like what seventy three years old. Uh, especially after the thing, after things went in the two thousand two World Series, Giants, Angels. It would be really cool to see Dusty get his his moment in the sun. But yeah, I th- there there are definitely ways to to have a rooting interest without necessarily rooting for a team. There's definitely big like Dusty Baker getting a ring and Bryce Harper getting a ring. Those are two big baseball events. Uh, Jared, you also have to remember, uh, again, you know, with Philly fans, that's where I spent six of my nine years in the NFL, and they threw snowballs at Santa Claus. So, I mean, it's just, <laughs> yeah. it's just, it's just, it's, it, it, they're going to let you have it no matter what. If you're in a, it, they probably wanted Santa to have an Eagles jersey on. That's probably why exactly. they threw a snowball at him. But you look at the way this team was, was built. I go back to 2018 when the principal owner, John Middleton, said, we're going to spend big money, and we may even be stupid about it. I think I remember his quote being, and five players and $742 million later, they did that, and it worked. You don't see this amount of players signed for this kind of money on one team, and then it worked. Usually, It's such a cross your fingers. It's kind of like the Rams in the NFL where they just spent money, had no draft picks for the next 30 years, but it paid off. They won the Super Bowl. Is that how it's got to be here? I mean, they're in the World Series, but you have to close this deal to make all that spending worth it. Um, I, I yes and no. I don't think that they have to do it right now. Like, I, I think that their window is, 
it's going to be open for a little bit. Like this is not a win this year, all in this year type Philadelphia Phillies team. That's Dave Dombrowski's MO. Dave Dombrowski is a guy that goes out and he's happy to spend his owner's money. Uh, he's a guy that is willing to spend quote unquote stupid money. He did that in Boston. You know, I think, I think David Price was going to the Cardinals for like a, uh, like 180, and he ended up in Boston for 217. So he'll go way over asking to make sure that he gets his guy. He's great at identifying talent, um, which makes me terrified as a Red Sox fan, knowing that uh, the Phillies might go after Xander Bogarts this winter. And if it's not Bogarts, there's plenty of other shortstops that are going to be on the market from Dansby Swanson and Trey Turner and Carlos Correa. Like the Phillies are not done. So even like, I I think I looked at what the, what the Dodgers did. They won the world series in 2020 and then they went out and they, they spent the money on Trevor Bauer. That didn't work, but they were aggressive in spending money on him. Then they went out and, uh, you know, they, they do what they had to do to continue to win. They're not just going to rest on we, you know, we won, so, like, that's it. And that's kind of what I, I, I think we're going to see from the Phillies. Whether or not they win a World Series uh, uh, this October, I still think that they're going to be super aggressive in free agency to continue to extend that window. I mean, with Bryce Harper, you know, he showed up day one. He said – I want a 13-year deal with no opt-outs. Like, I identified this place, this market, this team, and I want to be here, and I don't want there to be any chatter of, oh, he wants out or he's going to opt out at some point. Um, But they've built a nice little core that they can continue to supplement through aggressive spending. And I I totally – you don't hire Dave Dombrowski to trim your payroll. You hire (laughs) Dave Dombrowski to spend a ton of money, and that's where he is right now. How great is it to spend other people's money? I mean, it's got to be awesome. The best. (laughs) It's why I want your family to adopt me, Mike. Ask my daughter about that one. (laughs) (laughs) Um, John Middleton also told Bryce Harper that he thinks he underpaid him. Bryce Harper's on a $330 million contract. Is that a true or false statement? I mean, that's true. Like you could, uh, so there's there, uh, the website fan graphs. You can look at fan graphs and they, they'll take like wins above replacement and they have a way to calculate it like over to, to dollar amounts. And you look at the season that Aaron judge just had and it was worth $93 million. So you want to tell me that a dude like Bryce Harper puts up MVP caliber offensive numbers. He couldn't play defense this year because of, uh, you know, the ligament tear. Uh, but there's a dude that puts up MVP caliber offensive production, and then he wins the NLCS MVP, not just winning the MVP, but hitting the home run that sends you to the World Series. If you were to take the money and be like, all right, what is this worth to me? Get it, like a player putting the team on his back and getting us to a World Series. Bryce Harper's underpaid. God, I did, and hit that home run. Isn't that what we all did as kids, man, in the backyard? I mean, and he got to live that. That's just that's just such a cool thing. I'm gonna I'm gonna ask one off the World Series about payroll before I get back to it. So we we think he should have got more. Aaron Judge is out there, bet on himself and won, turned down two hundred forty million dollar contract, of which, quite honestly, if I said no to that, my wife would have slapped the spit out of my mouth. So that never would have <laughs> happened. He did. He has a massive year, maybe save for, for obviously the postseason. What's a realistic number do you think he gets? I don't know where it is, but wherever he goes, what a realistic number. Yeah, realistically, I, I think it's in the mid threes. Uh, I think it could get into the high threes depending on the, the bidding war. Uh, you look at the market for a guy like Aaron Judge, it's it's going to be the Dodgers. It's going to be the Yankees trying to bring him back. It's going to be the Giants. Uh, the Mets, everyone is assuming, will be in the market for him just because they have the money to spend. But we haven't heard much about the Mets' interest in actually going out and signing him. Uh, the Red Sox loom, but I don't think that they're going to be a serious player for Judge. But the teams that are in on him, I mean, the, the, the reports already were that the Giants are committed to being the top bidder. Then you have the Mets, who are more than capable of being the top bidder. I mean, Steve Cohen will spend whatever it takes to get the guy that he wants. It's just, is Aaron Judge the guy that he wants? We don't know. Uh, and then the Yankees, if George were still alive, he'd give him $500 million. <laughs> <I'd>, yeah. <laughs> He would just be like, listen, just get it done. I don't care what the number is. Just ask him what the number is, and we'll give him a blank check. But that's just not how Hal Steinbrenner and the new Yankee regime operates. So, yeah, I think you know what would be fair – somewhere in the 350 range 
Um, what he could end up getting could be a little bit more than that because it, it depends on what the Yankees value him as. I mean, and, and Aaron Judge has to look at it as – do I want the highest bid? Do I want to go where I'm happy? How much does legacy matter? Like, do I want to stay in New York? Is it unfinished business or is it let me get out of here because that was just not an experience that I want to continue? We don't know. Like, Aaron Judge is obviously not going to sit down and, and take a lie detector test and be like, yeah, no, I love playing in New York. It's so fun getting booed by <laughs> my home fans. It's the best. Uh, so, yeah, I think it's going to be somewhere in there, 350 to 375. Not bad for the fact that he bet on himself and he'll make over $100 million off of what that offer was at 240 That's pretty impressive. All right, now back. I always like asking this question about a big game, in this case, a big series. So we know who the stars are on both teams, Astros and Phillies. But there always seems to be that one or two, one or two players who people don't know very well. They're kind of the middle-level players, which I was for nine years. So the, the me's of these teams... Who, who may step out, have that ability where someone says, oh, I didn't really know about that guy, and, and they could have a big game or a big series? And who's most likely to start a, a radio career after they retire? <laughs> who, who are the Michael? Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I think it already happened. I think, you know, if you were to ask me prior to the series, I would have gave you the name Kyle Tucker um, of the Houston Astros. Like, this is a guy – that uh, he's if I've seen people break down his swings side by side with Ted Williams, and there's not a lot of difference, which is crazy. And then in in game one, uh, he had that three hit game. Two of them were homers, and he had the interesting quote before the World Series started, where you know they asked him about the opponent, the Philadelphia Phillies, and he was like, "Yeah, you know, ideally we'd like to get it done in four, um, but they're they're a really good team, so you know, like it, it might take a couple more games." Like he was just super candid about having absolutely no respect for the Philadelphia Phillies, but definitely an unsung hero of that Houston team just because, uh, you know, you've got the Bregmans, the Altuves, the Jordan Alvarez, like they're, they're loaded. Like that's a loaded lineup. So Kyle Tucker kind of falls by the wayside, but very talented player, very talented hitter. And you saw that in, in game yeah. one with the two homers. All right, Jared, last one. Um, much like the first tee they say in golf, though, for me, it's every tee box. I'm giving you a mulligan right now. You picked the Phillies in seven. We're two games in again, as of this taping, we're two games in it's one, one, would you will you take a mulligan and change your pick or are you keeping it the same? Uh, <laughs> man, I wish I think I I think there's a chance that after game 3 I, you know what? I'm going to stick with it. I'm going to stick with it because I I just the 2-3-2 two, two format in baseball it it if you split those first two games it's almost advantage for for the 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 road team. Like when you're when you're going into Philly and and you get to play there for three straight games, the momentum that you can build up there, if they can take two out of three in in Philly, I still like Philly in seven. I do. And I do think that they're capable of winning uh two out of three at home here. So I, I, I don't know. I, I, I'm gonna stick I'm gonna stick with Philly in seven. Obviously the Astros are the better team. Uh but yeah, I, I think the the money pick is is Philly and seven. All right, keeping that extra ball in your pocket on the tee, I like that. Well done, sticking mm -hmm. with your pick. All right, Jerry, we appreciate don't let you. Mike, don't let Mike bully you into changing your pick. <laughs> oh, like I said, I mulligan every hole. If it gets, if I can't see it, I'm hitting another one. It don't matter to me. All right, all right Jerry, appreciate the time very much, man. We'll look forward to talking again. Of course, thank you so much for having me. Mike, it was uh, unfortunately not the most exciting weekend in NFL news, but it is the trade deadline, and the trade deadline in, in the NFL has become a little bit more interesting. Obviously, by the time people are listening to this, there may be more news that we haven't heard of yet, but TJ Hawkinson was traded from the Lions to the Vikings. Um, the Bears traded a number of defensive players. What, what are your thoughts on the trade deadline becoming more of a thing in the NFL? Let me tell you, Jess, for 23 years – of doing morning radio and TV, we never got to talk about the trade deadline. All it was was an arbitrary date where nothing happened. The baseball deadline was a ball. We had every analyst in the world coming on, talking about who are the buyers, who are the sellers, who are the players getting moved and all that. Never in the NFL. I love the fact that there's being more moves now. And these are, and this isn't just 
moves of a player saying, oh, who's that player? These are these are known players going to teams that are trying to go over the, the top. You know, and it kind of started with Christy McCaffrey going from Carolina. You know, they sold off before that Robbie Anderson trading that wide, wide receiver to Arizona. But then McCaffrey going to the 49ers, and he just did, you know, the trifecta, throwing, catching, and running for a touchdown. I mean, what an incredible addition that was. Um, so I, that was a great move. And then you, you just talked about uh, Hawkinson going from Detroit to Minnesota. Interesting within the division for that to happen. But to help Minnesota, who is just distancing themselves from the Green Bay Packers right now and can probably secure that division in about two weeks. I'm being facetious, <laughs> but, I mean, that, that's a big lead they have. Robert Quinn going from Chicago to mm-hmm. Philadelphia. Roquan Smith, the leading tackler in the league right now going from Chicago to Baltimore. And the interesting thing about those two deals, yes, both Quinn and Roquan, is basically Chicago picked up the tab. They're paying basically their entire salaries that they're owed for the rest of the year, so their new teams are barely paying anything. So this is really Chicago kind of clearing the, you know their, their ledger yeah. on things for next year uh, and trading away these players. But, yeah, I'm They need ex- picks, too. Yeah, exactly. I'm I'm ecstatic with this trade deadline because Quinn will definitely help Philadelphia, the best team in the NFC right now, maybe in all of football. Roquan will definitely help Baltimore without question. And and Hawkinson, these are all quality moves for teams that are already playing well. But you know what? It's always good to have that one or two extra player to help put you over the top. Yeah, one of the interesting ones that didn't get too much, uh, you know, too much coverage because it was earlier last or later last week was Kadarius Tony going to the Chiefs. Oh, now right, he was a right. first round draft pick for the Giants. He he really struggled with the Giants, and he's had some injuries. He's he hurt his hamstring this week or this season, and so he hasn't played very much. But the Chiefs obviously are are a, a dangerous passing threat in the NFL, so they obviously see some value there, and and maybe a change of scenery is what this player needs, but I thought that that was an interesting one too, that they're, they're adding him to the wide receiver room in Kansas city. Also tells you just what a dud it was in New York for that pick, right? I mean, they've been kind of on him since the beginning of not really, you know, from your draft position, not really doing what you should do. So, you know, maybe it's a grass is greener mentality now for him and for Kansas city, who basically to fill the, the, the slot of Tyree kill, they just have brought in, you know, right. so many different Juju receivers. Schuster. Yeah, I yeah. mean, they, they really only need Travis Kelsey, right? Like, they yeah. don't need that many wide receivers if they have Travis Kelsey healthy. But I, I, anytime the Chiefs do anything, I tend to think that, you know, it's like when Bill Belichick does something, you're like, well, this will probably end up working out for them. Because working out for them, yeah. You, you trust that they make good decisions. Whereas, you know, some other teams you maybe are like, what are they doing there? And, and all I've heard after I called the Sunday game, uh, Buffalo at Green Bay, where Buffalo won that game, is people are just saying, just let, to, oh, more to your point, I, I swear it's, you brought this up before about the Super Bowl. Somebody said to me after that game, just let Kansas City and Buffalo play best of seven to see who makes yes. it to the Super Bowl. Wouldn't that be awesome? All right, I'm back around be. on the seven-game Super Bowl <laughs> series. I thought it was a good idea, and then I thought it was a bad idea, but now I think it's a good idea again. If it's just Kansas City and Buffalo, I will watch all seven games of that. Oh, you would, and then they would come out of the, the – uh... The AFC and then the NFC, you know, is it Philadelphia? You know, is is people, I don't know if they're buying into Minnesota yet because you see this out of Minnesota and then they fall back to being kind of a Midland team, but they're, they're doing extremely well. I think we've already cast off Tampa Bay and Green Bay. I know I have. They're not coming back. They are what they are. I think San Francisco, Jess, is going to be a team that really starts to kind of take over because – and again, people say, oh, you're slating Seattle now, you know, with what Seattle is doing. And I give them a ton of credit for it. But I think by the end of the season, I just think San Francisco is going to be the better team there. Uh, also, didn't we have we had Reed Fowler on before the season and he had uh, the Vikings as his NFC champion pick, I think. And, and Kirk Cousins as his MVP. I don't know if that has aged well, but the Vikings pick for winning that division certainly has. Um, yes. I don't think anyone saw the Packers decline coming on so suddenly and they have a chance to turn it around like this has happened before in Aaron Rodgers career remember when he told everyone R-E-L-A-X yeah. you know five years ago four years ago whenever that was when Mike McCarthy was still the head coach there but something about them just seems fundamentally broken I also Mike we didn't talk about this last week he made a comment about 
um, players on the team not wanting them to take practice reps because they were not performing well, wanting to limit their, their practice time. And I thought that that was a little bizarre and also yeah. like the opposite. Like, isn't the all old adage like, oh, first, first there, last out. Like you want them to oh, work harder. Take yes, more usually. Yes. Usually it's like you take more. First reps, one like in, last was, one out. I couldn't think of the phrasing of that. I knew you know you'd get it. Everybody knows, <laughs> you know, what, what you meant. It, it's, it's like, before this Buffalo game, the two weeks previous, the two games combined, they had 10 drops. If I'm a receiver dropping the ball, I'm catching 200 balls a day on the jug machine. I mean, I'm just having, you know, one of the equipment managers feeding balls in there, and I'm just catching, catching, catching at all different angles. You're right. It shouldn't be, oh, you know what, I'm screwing up, so let me take less reps. You know, uh, I need to take more reps to get better uh, and just do it over and over again. So, yeah, I mean, it's just not happening there. Plus, it could only be a wild card, so that obviously cuts your, your options down a little bit because Minnesota's running away with it. That's what's keeping Tampa Bay in this thing is the fact that their division is not great, you know. And, and that, But I'll tell you what was great, that Atlanta-Carolina game. What a game that was going into overtime. Carolina having a chance to win it, their kicker missing it, and then uh, Atlanta winning it. But D.J. Moore catching that touchdown pass <laughs> – where it tied the game and they need an extra point to win it. And oh, he, he selfishly and immaturely and dumbly, if that's a word, takes his helmet off just so he can look into the crowd and have everybody say, look at me. I mean, and, and as soon as he took his helmet off, Jess, I was, I was in the hotel in Buffalo getting ready for my game, and I'm watching that. He scores, takes his helmet off, and I just said, well, that extra point is 15 yards longer now. And, of course, uh, the kicker misses it. I think it's Pinheiro, I think it is, misses the extra point. So it stays tied and they go to overtime and eventually lose. That was unbelievable. Well, okay, so I, I, first of all, the taking off the helmet thing, like if you're on the field, that is, you're not supposed to do that. But I also read afterwards that since he was not on the field when he did it, he was already out of the back of the end zone. It shouldn't have counted as a penalty. Can't do is it. That nope, not... nope. It, it's okay. can't do it in the celebration. You can't take your helmet off. I mean, defenders have done it when they're disgusted. They'll take their helmet off as they're going off the field, and they'll get a flag. It was, it's a rule. You need to know. Jess, he couldn't have taken it off quick enough. He literally dropped the ball <laughs> so both hands could get to his chin strap so he could take his helmet off. I hope he got all the adulation he wanted because it cost his friggin' team. Now, should your kicker still make the extra point? Yeah, you would hope he yeah, would. Should your kicker should. then make it in overtime when you have a chance to win it? Yeah, he should. So he missed that as well. But still, to be in right. that position, you know, he put him in that position because of that of that penalty. But that was one of the best games of the weekend. So we'll see again. So the, the again, as a taping of this, it's still kind of during the end of the trade deadline. So we'll see if any more moves are made. But I love the fact that some of these moves uh, have been made. And speaking of moves being made. F1 was in Mexico City, which I can't wait to talk to people out there because I'm calling the Mexico City game, Arizona and San Francisco, uh, in a few weeks. So I want to know places to go. But Max Verstappen, he does it. He was tied with um, was two with Schumacher and um, oh man, with 13 wins for the year. Now I'm drawing a blank. Um, let me. Let it's me his last year. Right. He's retiring this year. The, the dude that's retiring. Sebastian this year. Vettel. Yeah, Vettel. I think Vettel had, had had a year where he had 13 wins, and yeah. now now Max has 14 wins. So Max has the record. This is the Max Verstappen year, no doubt about it. But as, as usual, Jess, in F1 uh, racing, there is drama. <laughs> Always. I mean, the, this race was not one of the more exciting races on the calendar, but there was a lot of off off the track, off the circuit. Uh, drama lingering because of the whole 2021 cost cap debacle with Red Bull. They went over their spending for last season and the FIA handed down a penalty this week. They're going to pay $7 million in a fine that is not going to come out of next year's uh, salary cost cap. So it's a separate fine. And then they're going to get a 10% reduction in, in development time. Christian Horner was very mad about it. <laughs> he was not happy. And then on top of all of that, and on top of all the press conferences where he was asking, he was telling everyone else that they owed Red Bull an apology. Um, Red Bull said that they're no longer doing interviews with Sky Sports because of Ted Kravitz, who 
Uh, full disclosure, I'm a big fan of, I, I met him in Miami during the, during the race and actually like read a couple lines for one of his on-air packages. So I like Ted Kravitz. Ted Kravitz said in Austin that Max Verstappen, uh, the, the word he used was robbed Lewis Hamilton of his eighth title last season and Red Bull feels that Sky Sports has been cheapening their, uh, 2021 win all season. So they're, they have an indefinite boycott now on the major, the major network that, uh, you know, that covers their races and distributes Ah, the ah. races to the U S and to other countries too. Sky Sports Germany, Sky Sports Italy. Um, so that was, that was a a fun little thing happening in, in the background this weekend in Mexico city and probably will continue to the end of the year, but I don't think it's going to last very long, Mike, because I think Christian Horner really likes being on TV. All right, so that's what I was going to ask you. What are the legs of this thing? But you may have just answered it in that last last one I mean, so (laughs) last year Verstappen said the same thing. He said he wasn't going to talk to Netflix anymore, and then they came to an agreement, and now he's talking to Netflix again. And Sky Sports does have a lot of influence over the way the races are covered, and I think that there are fans that believe that they have a British bias. So, you know, they're biased towards Lewis Hamilton and Lando Norris and the other British drivers on the grid. And that's fair. I think that that would probably be, you know, natural to, to have a bias towards people from your own country if you're the broadcaster. But um, I don't think that anything that Ted Kravitz said was not in line with what the FIA has said after last year's finale. They went so far as to sack the race director who made the final call on the final lap of the race. And if you do that, then you're implicitly saying he made a mistake. You don't fire someone if they didn't do something that was not in error. So I don't think it was necessarily, you know, but I, again, I think this is like a culmination of what they believe. Like they've been slighted all year by, by the network. So I just don't think it's going to last very long because I do think that sky does ultimately have a lot of, you know, influence and, and Red Bull's going to want to get their story out there and get their people on TV. Yeah. Nobody, nobody doesn't want the pub going forward. So you hate to put yourself in position for that. So congrats to Max Verstappen for the race. We'll see how far the drama goes as they're finishing out their season. And since we're talking about racing, Jess, we, we have to mention what went on in NASCAR. We'll stay in racing. And as we're looking for the, uh, the, the, the last race in Phoenix Raceway on Sunday of what went on in Martinsville with Ross Chastain did like a, a live Ricky Bobby. I mean, with, with <laughs> his racing style, he was on the last lap. He was behind Denny Hamlin. I don't know if people didn't see this. He was behind Denny Hamlin on the last lap and he needed to beat Denny Hamlin to get into the, the championship four, right? He needed, he needed yeah. to beat him. And he ran the last lap again, like Ricky Bobby, with no regard for car and or body. Talk about putting the pedal to the metal. And and he later admitted that he kind of ran it like like the NASCAR chase for the Cup 05 on the Nintendo GameCube, where (laughs) if you wreck a car, nothing bad happens because it's a game. This is real life. And dude just absolutely put the pedal to the metal. I, I like truly, I know I'm like a F1 fan, a racing fan, and I do generally understand how these cars work, at least the Formula One cars. I don't understand how like that happens. Like I'm watching this clip and I'm like, how did he pull off this maneuver and go so much faster in the outside lane than all these other cars yeah. and sneak by the fourth car to get in that final spot? It's just like the more I watch it, the more I don't fully understand or comprehend how that is physically possible. Like from the physics standpoint, Mike, I don't yeah. understand it. It doesn't make any sense. Well, if you haven't seen it, it's all over, obviously, Twitter, YouTube, and our old teammate at ESPN, Ryan McGee, tweeted out after he showed a bunch of different clips, whether they were cartoons or movies, of cars just riding the outside wall, you know, and, and it, it, it's great. It was it was absolutely amazing uh, uh, what went on there. So, uh, congrats to him. We'll see you know, how much it pays off uh, for him Sunday in that last race. Uh, I, I want to finish on Halloween candy, but really quickly, we should <laughs> note, because it, it, it just crossed the line, and we might as well talk about it, even though tomorrow you'll, you'll have seen it already, the, the Nets have fired Steve Nash. Uh, so it, th- this was a situation, remember, with Kevin Durant basically 
said, you know, I'll, I, I need Nash or, or p- people gone if I'm going to come back. And the owner was on the side of the GM and Nash and said, no, they're staying. And obviously Durant is, is there as well. He Nobody traded for him. Um, and so they thought they were all going to get together and, and keep going and work it out. But not so much. The Brooklyn Nets are sitting at two and five and seven games in, uh, which always amazes me. So you always wonder, and we knew there was already drama. Durant wanted Nash gone in the offseason. So now they're two and five, and he actually gets his wish now of Nash being gone. But you always wonder about these moves just so early in the season. Yeah, well, the team hasn't been playing well. They haven't no. been selling a lot of tickets. And then, like you said, there's been off-the-court drama. And then, of course, this week and this weekend, there was this Kyrie Irving situation where he posted an anti-Semitic video to his Instagram and then doubled down on it at a press conference. And... The Nets owner condemned it. The NBA put out a statement where they didn't even name Kyrie Irving, but said that they condemn hate speech. And then Steve Nash, I think, you know, was he said, I hope we get through it together. There's an opportunity for us to grow and understand new perspectives. But none of it really addressed, like, the the danger and toxicity of these claims that are in Kyrie's post that he put up and that he's, you know, kind of doubling down on. Like, he, he didn't really even seem to feel like he understood why it was bad to put that on his platform where he has 18 million Instagram followers um, and denied that he was even, he kept kept using the word promoting because that's what the reporter was saying, Nick Friedel, who works for ESPN, who had like this back and forth with him. But when you're posting something to your, your, your profile, then yeah, in a way, like that's what the definition of promoting means. It doesn't mean that you're like wearing a hat with like the logo on it, like that kind of promotion. But you know, he's, he's, putting very toxic and dangerous ideas on his own platform. Um, and so, yeah, this, I think this speaks to a larger dysfunction with the team and, and maybe the Steve Nash firing is just a performance issue. I know that there were people who were questioning why he even was hired to that job in the first place, right. because he didn't have a lot of head coaching experience, but I do think that the Kyrie Irving situation needs to be addressed in a much more direct and forceful way from the NBA and from the players and from, uh, you know, from his own organization, because I don't think there's any excuse for what he posted on a social media platform. Yeah. And, and again, I, I brought this up because it was a tweet from Woj and it said sources are saying, but if Woj tweets it, it's happening. I mean, listen, the NBA goes to Woj for info. So that, that's just, that's just how powerful Woj is out there. So uh, a, a different tenure starting there because everybody keeps waiting Oh, what they have in New Jersey with those stars there. They should they should be winning championships and it's been very, very underachieving. So they'll they'll have a new coach and and we'll go on from there. All right, Jess. So um Halloween has has come and gone. I do miss the days when I was doing Mike and Mike that we would have costumes every year. Uh, my <laughs> wife was actually the one that would get us costumes and they were very authentic. Uh so I'm a big fan of Halloween. We had a ton of kids come to our house. Uh, here at Notre Dame last night, and I love seeing the eyes light up because we have them in a big, in a big like a uh, plastic uh, pumpkin, and we have all the candy in there. It's huge, and I love putting the, the the pumpkin out there and telling the kids pick one, pick whatever one you want, and love seeing their eyes light up and them saying, "Oh wow, you have full size candy bars," and I'm like, <laughs> "You damn right we do. That that's what we do here." <laughs> Which full-size candy bars did you hand out? Because I have to say, one candy brand sent me two big boxes of full-size candy bars a month ago, and uh-huh. I brought them to the studio, and they're all, they're already gone. So oh, no one they- no one handed those out. Oh, we we have the big ones. We had were bags of M and M's, regular peanut M and M's, Kit Kat, Twix, Snickers, Three Musketeers, Milky Way, Hershey bars. Wow. All those. I would have taken a Twix. Would you take? That's what is always interesting too. Is I love giving kids a choice because I like seeing what they go for. You know what was big was these the the kind of the dip thing that's the powder and the little yeah, stick and you kind of fun, fun dip. That's it. That's what it's called. Fun dip. A lot of people like that as well. Uh, oh, and also we had the the two cup Reese cup. You know, not not oh, the. Oh yeah. We did have mini candy the for like size. you know. Th- there's a lot of moms that that come out and their kids like two and they don't want their kid eating a full-size milky way bar so you know we, we have we have the smaller candy for them but uh yeah i was uh a big there was a and 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 i always say this every year i go on my rant every year about it's one day 
Let the kids have the candy. There is an orthodontist office around us that actually was doing a buyback. Bring your no. candy in. I'm, I'm like, man, back in the day, you know, I don't, I don't want anything, anybody to do anything to any places. But boy, back in the day, that would not have gone over well. A uh, buyback. Give us your candy on. and we'll give. I mean, come on. I just can't so stand So he can that. eat it all, please. Uh, I mean, just uh, now, where you live, do you have any, do you have any trick-or-treaters? No, not a single one. I had to dress up as sync for uh, the Levitard show, and that was my only Halloween partaking this year. You Didn't were even carve a pumpkin. Oh, nice. I was Justin Timberlake. Yeah, not nice. a great hairstyle on me. Probably will not wear that wig again. Um, but, you know, it was, it was two hours, and then I was back in my regular clothes, and I went home. Oh, there you go. Okay. I, I did not dress up. We had, we just uh, obviously had all the kids that were dressed up. The dogs were out. We put a, a like a, a fence up by our port so the dogs can be outside and the kids Aww. like petting the dogs. Yeah. Very, very nice. Good I want to trick or treat at your house. Yeah. Let me tell you, uh, it's, it, it's worth it. It's worth it. Well, I'll <laughs> say this though, Jess, is we do have extra candy. We rarely run out of candy because we don't want to be that house either that all of a sudden runs out of candy and your lights are off and your door is closed. So <laughs> when you and your boyfriend come here this weekend, there will be some candy still available. Just so you Ooh, know. all right. Candy and coffee. Can't wait to see you, Mike. So we will trade your treats you're going to make for me and candy that I will give to you. Amazing. <laughs> 